You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. We're in a series called The Gifts That Keep On Giving. I've heard a few people tell me that it has blessed them, and I hope that it blesses you today. We're going to teach a little bit, if that's okay. So I hope you're ready to learn. Are you ready to learn? Some of you, it's been a long time since you've been to school. We're going back in. We're going back in today. So I hope you're ready. Turn to somebody next to you and say, are you ready? Make sure they're ready. We talked about the gifts that keep on giving. And we have a QR code. We love QR codes here. They are not the mark of the beast, just so you know, because some of you are like, I don't know about it. Don't scan that. This will actually get you to a gifts assessment test. So if you haven't already taken it, it'll help you. We've been talking about this as a staff. Tomorrow night, all our department leaders are going to be talking through it. What has God called you to do? What are the gifts that come out? We've talked about the gifts that serve, the motivational gifts. These are gifts like serving, hospitality, giving, administration, mercy. We talked about the gifts that speak. These are the ministry gifts, the office gifts of pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, and apostle. Today, I want to talk to you about the gifts that show. They show the glory of God. These are the manifestation gifts. And we're going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians 12. If you would stand to your feet for the reading of the word, I think it's good for us to stand in honor of what God's word says here. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Say uninformed. You knew that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one ever says Jesus is Lord except in the spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, say same. It's the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each, to everyone, is given the manifestation of the spirit from the common good. For one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. And another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. May your word be life to us today. May you illuminate us with your scripture and your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. Now, our motivational gifts. These are gifts that every one of us has. Many of you, you had them at birth. Some of you, you organized your, your, your toys in your toy box. You might have the gift of administration especially if you bossed your siblings around. You might have the gift of leadership. <laughs> Sometimes we look at these gifts as parents and we go, Lord, help us. But it's good to know that God is asking us to steward those gifts in the right way. Ministry gifts. There's actually a lot of you in this room that are pastoral, even though you won't be called to full-time pastor duty. Say amen to that. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Don't be called unless you're called. Okay, anyway, but you have a pastoral heart. Some of you love teaching. You love collecting information, wisdom. Those are gifts that God has given you. Today, 
These are the gifts that demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. These are also the gifts that some of you in this room and those of you watching may have been told are not in operation today. And I want you to, there you go, Papa Chuck, you're missing out. I want you to be activated by the Holy Spirit. Now, these aren't always noticed in a person. You don't wake up one day and operate in these gifts, but the Holy Spirit will empower you to walk in these gifts. They're supernaturally imparted. In Acts 8, it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. They sent the bigwigs, the higher-ups. They sent Peter and John, the apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit." This is key to understanding that there is a, another baptism in the natural progression of a Christian. There's the baptism, which we know in water, which is an outward expression of an inward confession. And then Peter and John demonstrate that there's a laying on of hands and a receiving of an impartation of the Holy Spirit. This is free. It's given to those that ask, I want more of the Holy Spirit. Now, people debate on these things. Are they functioning today or are they not? But remember, as with everything in the Bible, you can only understand and receive through faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, it's impossible to please God unless through faith. So those of you that are analytical, let me remind you that God is always going to confound your mind. He's going to do things that you go, this does not make sense. For those of you mathematicians, God can do one plus one equals three. That's common core math, by the way, I heard. Just kidding. Does any parent ever get their homework from their kids and feel like they're not smart anymore? Like, okay, that's a side note. <laughs> Thank you. Nope. Okay. Anyway, I'm trying to liven up the mood. Here we go. Satianism and continuationism. These are two debating theologies within the church. Satianism means the supernatural sign gifts, the extra biblical revelation that existed in the first century to confirm and approve the apostolic authority and message are no longer, they cease, they're no longer needed because we have completed the canon of scripture. Because this is now done, we no longer need scripture. We no longer need the gifts because the scripture has been created. It's done. It's ceased. Now, the next thing is continuationism, which is supernatural sign gifts continue. They operate on earth until the second coming of Jesus Christ to establish the kingdom on earth. Now, the big debate comes out of 1 Corinthians 13 which says love never fails. It never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I even dressed like a child. Some of you still, I'm just kidding. That's just a side note. I put that in there. It's not in the scripture. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part and I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. Now the nine manifestation gifts, let me say it again. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, 
faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. These are being debated whether they're still in operation today. Now, many people won't debate whether faith is operation or even some of this discernment. But let me just say this to you. As we, as we read 1 Corinthians 13, we'll notice that it says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, what once some theology will believe is that the perfect was the Bible. It's done. It's perfect. But what I believe and many theologians will believe is that the perfect is actually referring to Jesus coming back in the second coming as he comes. Because it says we will know face to face. We will see Jesus face to face. In that particular situation, we will no longer need healing, miracles, prophecy, because we will be seated in heavenly places with Jesus. We will no longer need evangelism, because guess what? If you're in heaven, you know Jesus. So there will be gifts at a particular point in time. We will no longer have to function them because the perfect is now with us face to face. But until then, Say until. Until then, we need the gifts operating just like the apostles did in the beginning of the church. Now, I had a friend that was, we were in the same belief system with all of this. And as time went on, he started doubting some of these things. We started having these theological debates and he would bring his information. I'd bring my information and we'd talk through it. And eventually we just agreed to disagree. You know, I know he's saved and he knows I am. But when it came to the gifts, we differed because he saw things through a different lens. Now, let me say this. Many people who ascribe to the fact that these gifts have ceased have gone through some level. What I found is some level of either they've been hurt by the gifts, they've seen abuse of or with the gifts, or they've been falsely taught about the gifts. And in this particular situation, my friend had experienced at a young age, he was in a, in a service where someone speaking asked, anyone need healing? Why don't you stand to your feet? People stood and they began to pray and people began to receive their healing. There was a little boy in the service who from the beginning to the end had never received his healing. It messed with him. As we talked, I said, tell me where this all started. I, I was in the service and I thought, how could Jesus not heal a little boy? Everybody else fell out in the spirit, had an encounter with spirit. But here's this little boy. This also compounded because over the few years ago, he began to develop symptoms and sicknesses that were un, 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 could not be described by doctors. They could not understand what was, what was the reason for this. And we would pray for him and others prayed for him and never received healing. And so these two things compounded upon this for him to begin to doubt whether these gifts are really operating today. There was some prophecy that he had seen unfulfilled, and began to doubt it. And what it did was it began to unravel even the theology of what he believed. We finally came to a point where I realized our theology is different. I know you love Jesus. I do too. But we're in a different state of understanding of the Bible. Now, do you need these gifts to get into heaven? No. You do not need these gifts to get into heaven. You need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. That is the only way to the Father except through the Son, Jesus. Do you need these gifts to be effective in ministry today? Absolutely. I don't know how else to do it. I mean, yes, the word is powerful, but when you partner the power of the word with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can see people transformed. I have been in many situations where God has used me or used others, and I've witnessed where the power of the Holy Spirit has radically transformed someone's life and grabbed a hold of their attention. 
the majority, listen to me, the majority of the worldwide church do not debate this. It's the Western culture. If you go to any other nation, especially those that are persecuted, they will say without a doubt, there are miracles, signs and wonders. I've seen people raised from the dead. They know that healing takes place. They believe in prophecy because they need it and they have no doubt. But somehow, some way in our culture today, we have debated over these nine gifts. So let's get into them today. But before we do, I want to talk about two of them that we've already discussed in previous gatherings, discernment of spirits or discernment and faith. Now, I believe that some people in this room have a gift of faith and you have a gift of discernment. You can walk into a room and say, something's off here. But I believe that when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, your gift of discernment now goes to another level where you can actually discern there is a spirit of fear at operation in this room. You can begin to discern the spirits. There is another level of faith to believe for even greater things. That's empowering of the Holy Spirit. But let's start off with miracles, because we all love miracles, especially when we see one. And if we don't see one, we get all depressed and say, God, are you really there? But I want you to know miracles are natural in a normal Christian lifestyle. They happen in different ways. Many times they're unnoticed. Because I can guarantee you today, when you go to heaven, you put on that A-track or that VHS cassette of your life, because it's going to be on VHS. Anyway, VHS, anybody remember VHS? Okay, wow. Whenever we get up to heaven and we ask the Lord, show me my, my, my life in pictures. I don't know if this will ever happen. This is extra biblical, by the way. Uh, I believe that you'll see many moments in your life where literally angels came in miraculously and caused you to be protected from death. Some of you, without knowing it, you have been protected by angels in miracles. Miracles are the special ability God gives to some to serve as human intermediaries through whom he pleases to perform acts of supernatural power that are recognized by others to have altered the ordinary course of nature and authenticated the divine commission. In Jesus's ministry, in the four gospels that we have record of, there were over 40 miracles that he took. Now we know he did more than that. One third of the book of Mark is Jesus's miracles. Jesus would command nature. He'd walk on water. He'd tell storms to chill out. He healed people. He casted out demons. And then the the apostles in Acts 12, Peter had a miraculous escape from prison. In Acts 9, Tabitha was raised, Tabitha was, Tabitha was raised from the dead by Peter, and it caused many people to believe in the Lord. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. This is a, a miracle beyond miracles. The whole earth shakes, breaks off the prison doors and their shackles. They sing the song Mary Mary sang, let the shackles off my feet so I can dance. They wrote that song. It was written in prison, by the way. All the prisoners, because, listen to this, because the freedom of Jesus and the Holy Spirit was in the prison, no one left. The jailer came back and thought for sure, everybody's gone, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be killed, I might as well kill myself. And, he, and, and, and they said, no, 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 hold on a second. Paul and Silas said, well, hold on a second, we're all in here. They lead the prisoner, prison guard to Jesus and his whole family gets saved. That's a miracle. Now the warnings with miracles, here's the warnings is that the devil loves to deceive people with his own miracles. 
How do I know that? Well, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. So just because you see something supernatural doesn't always mean it's from the Holy Spirit. You have to have discernment. We become more excited about miracles sometimes than the spirit who does them. I want to caution you, don't be a miracle chaser, be a Holy Spirit chaser. Chase the Holy Spirit. Miracles come when he's in the room, but don't look for the miracles, look for his presence. We forget that trials, listen to me, we forget sometimes that trials are designed to grow us, mature us, and teach us. So sometimes you may not see a miracle because God wants to do a miracle in you by actually maturing you through the trial you're trying to get out of. I would say it again, but I can't remember what I just said. Is that good? James 1 says, count it all joy when you face various trials. Sometimes the miracle isn't getting out of the trial. It's actually the maturity and the development that happens in you while you're in the trial. Healing. Healing's a good one. We all love healing. A special ability God gives to some to serve as human instruments through whom it pleases him to cure illness and restore health, physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual, apart from the use of natural means. This is a divine enablement to be God's means for restoring people to wholeness. In Jesus' ministry, there were 27 miracles of people being healed individually, and 10 times he did it in a group. In Acts, 12 of the chapters out of the 28 chapters, Luke verifies the miracles now and the healing. And here's what I want you to know. Luke was a trained physician. So if there's anyone you want to verify a healing, it's a doctor. Jesus had a doctor verify the miracles that were performed. So as they were performing miracles, Luke's like, yep, that's happened. That's true. That's true. So they were really true. Jesus casted out demons and healed people of mental health, of muteness, of blindness, of bleeding, and epilepsy. And a fee, Isaiah 53, 5 prophesied about it. And it said that he would, by his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, we would be healed. Healing is amazing. I have seen it. I've been part of it. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it in my family. I've witnessed it firsthand. I've seen people with the gift of healing. And let me just say this to you. When someone has a gift of healing, get out of the way and let them pray. The bumper sticker right there. I'm coming up with all sorts of one-liners. Many years ago, we had a couple in our church, dear couple in our church, the Hendricks, and it was not not uh, Jimmy, but it was Archie and Ann. <laughs> I wish he was here. That'd be cool. But Archie and Ann, also from the dead. Anyway, Archie and Ann, and Archie loved Jesus. This was my parents' neighbor. Ann was a devout Buddhist. Ann was an amazing woman from Vietnam. We loved Ann. She would come to church and she would have encounters with Jesus. We didn't know this, but Jesus would give her visions while she was in worship. Jesus had one, some of you know this story. I've told this story before that she would had a, had a vision one time. She told us this after the fact that there was a statue of Buddha and Jesus and Buddha's statue crumbles before Jesus. Jesus is encountering her during worship. 
Well, eventually we were able to lead on to the Lord and we baptized her. It was not a dry eye in the room. It was amazing. She, she took down every one of her altars in her house and she was worshiping Buddha. It was just amazing. And on worked in the medical industry. And I, I love this because she had a heart for people. And I, this is where I actually knew someone had a, was given a gift of healing. And on when she would be around someone, her hands would start tingling and she knew that she had to lay hands on them for healing. Now, again, this ha- she had no spiritual upbringing other than Buddhism, and she did not have a whole understanding of the word of God. She was learning it on the fly. But An went to Vietnam. She told us this story. We couldn't stop laughing when we heard about it. An, again, just kind of just starting to know the Lord and the Holy Spirit, but she wanted to be used by the Holy Spirit. One day, her mom, who was ill and also under a curse of a witch doctor in the local town she was in. There was witch doctors in Vietnam. They casted a curse on her mom. She began to manifest and An knew something wasn't up. Was, well, something was wrong, something was up. She stood her up, grabbed her hold of her, found some kind of cooking oil, poured it over her head and began to cast out the demon. Her mom fell limp on the floor, was out for a few hours to a day, came to and was fully delivered. This was a woman that just knew that when God told her to do something, she was going to do it. And God's signs and wonders followed her. Again, I know what I've seen and what I've experienced is God still heals. So here's some warnings. Some people can be so desperate for a healing that they'll turn to demonic counterfeit healing. In fact, the enemy will love to manifest his healing power to you to gather and gain your worship to another God. Oh, he'll release the torment that he's put over you just so you be going, it must be the God. That must be the God. There's only one God that truly heals and his name is Jehovah. Sometimes he'll release the the power of sickness over your life, the torment over your life, the enemy will release it because he'd rather have you spiritually sick and physically well. He's going for your soul. He wants you spiritually sick. See, we sometimes struggle with God's sovereignty when it comes to healing, and this is the key because my mom passed away and she was sick. But I know God heals. So I, I had to battle with that and wrestle with it because in some ways I was watching God heal people in our church, but I was watching my mom still be under the power of sickness. But here's what I know. Many times we think through the lens of the present. We think that if God can heal on this earth and he's powerful, if he can't, something's wrong. But how many know that when we're face to face with God, every person will be completely restored in heaven. Every person will receive their healing. So whether you receive it here on earth for a short time or you receive it for an eternity, either way, God's power of healing will work in your life. In fact, there's people all throughout the Bible, in the New Testament especially, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Paul, just to name a few, who had a sickness and were not truly healed on earth, but they walked faithfully and actually laid their hands on other people to be healed. So what I would say to you is Jesus is sovereign. God is sovereign. Many times we don't understand healing because we don't see it happen to a loved one. And I want you to know that even though you may not see it happen in your life the way that you want it, God is still a healer. And I know that's messing with people in this room here because you're like, either he's going to heal me or not. But I'm telling you, sometimes God will use a sickness to draw people closer to him. He is more concerned with your eternity than your infirmity. So if we can walk in understanding that God does heal, 
then I guarantee you that God will use you to lay hands on sick people and they will be healed. I've seen so many people healed. I know that he still heals. Let's move on to prophecy. Prophecy is a gift that Paul says, I wish everybody would prophesy. You don't have to be a prophet or have a calling of a prophet. You can prophesy. Many of you, how many people would say that you have been used to prophesy into someone's life? Raise your hand. Come on now, look at that. It's like a mail delivery person who does not write or edit the mail, but collects and delivers it. It's what you're doing for the Lord. It's divine enablement to reveal the truth and proclaim in a timely and relevant manner for understanding, correction, repentance, or edification, which there may be immediate or future implications. The special ability God gives to some to proclaim the word of God with clarity. It's a special gift whereby the Spirit empowers certain Christians to interpret and apply God's revelation in a given situation. In the Bible alone, 25% of the Bible is prophecy. There are major prophets and there are minor prophets. You can see the major, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naaman, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the ones nobody reads. You know what I'm talking about? Those ones right there? I know you all read it here, but the reality is, is most of the Bible is prophetic. And so God still moves in the prophetic. We have a, a prophet that comes here. His name is Ed Trout. Many of you have received a word from him. We have personally received words that there's no way he would have known it other than the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you, nobody's behind the scenes giving a little earpiece put in there say, hey, tell Lee to stand up. Lee, you're going to have children, children. You know, it's like, no, that's not how it works. It's God divinely giving words to people that had no idea what they were speaking into. Many Many years ago, when I was little Mark, who was in college, first year of college, I was in bamboozled by the Holy Spirit. I know I was, because I was not supposed to be at this church service on this particular Sunday night. I'll end up sitting in the front row, and here's Ed Trout. Oh, Ed Trout coming in, and he sees me, and he begins to talk about things, and he says, I see books in your future, and you will graduate, and he had no idea that only a few hours before, I was literally having a conversation saying, I think I'm supposed to leave college. I think I'm supposed to drop out, and God hit me with a prophetic word, and all throughout my college experience, I kept calling on that word. I said, Holy Spirit, you told me I'm going to graduate. I need your help in this class. You told me I'm going to graduate. I need your impartation of wisdom right now. And he did. He walked with me. That's just one instance that in our family, we've had a prophetic word come to pass. Some warnings is that Jesus, Paul, and John all throughout the New Testament warn about false prophets. So there's going to be people that are going to proclaim things and they're not going to be full of the Holy Spirit. Many times, we forget that the purpose of prophecy is to build up the person, to build up the church, to bring warnings. And many times people will prophesy without understanding their heart posture is important. So we have people prophesying doom and gloom, getting people all frazzled and worked up, writing books that don't come to pass. I think, by the way, you should give all the money back to people. That's just my own personal thought if your book didn't come to pass. Anyway, I won't go long, but I have a lot of things to say about that. Many times people with prophetic gifts can be lone rangers because they feel like I can't operate in the church. But how many know that when it's under the covering of a church and you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a beautiful expression of the Holy Spirit at work in the body. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. I put them together because many times they're very similar 
Words of knowledge is the gift of the Holy Spirit to know something without previous knowledge and do completely unknown to the one possessing the gift. This is having wisdom on, or I should say knowledge of someone's name or knowing something about their parents. God will give you that in real time. It's happened many times for me. I know for Leanne, where we'll begin speaking over someone. They'll say, how do you know that? Holy Spirit gets their attention. Allows them to focus on Jesus. Words of wisdom is the gift of the Holy Spirit to understand and speak the counsel of God, which addresses needs, problems, and situations needing solution, solutions. Supernatural wisdom beyond natural wisdom. This is when God gives you something to say, hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me for you to do this. And it's wisdom from the heavens to teach them something to do differently. There are so many biblical examples of words of knowledge. In John 4, Jesus has a word of knowledge for a woman at the well. Begins to describe her whole dating history in front of her. She's like, how do you know this? That's Jesus getting the attention of the woman. In Acts 10, there's two different people that have a word of knowledge. Cornelius, he has a word of knowledge. In the same time, Peter is having a vision and these two come together, a Gentile and a Jew, and God begins to speak to Peter, and he begins to give him a word of knowledge of a vision of how he is to reach out to the Gentiles. Cornelius cries out to him, and they have this empowering connection where the whole home, and God begins to develop Cornelius as a church planner becomes an amazing part of Paul's journey of church planning. In Acts 27, Paul's on a ship bound for Rome, and he has a word of knowledge to the people on the ship. He says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. That's a word of knowledge you do not want to hear, by the way, when you're boarding a ship. Word of wisdom in the Bible is Jesus answers the questions from the church, the Pharisees, regarding taxes. They try to pigeonhole him. What should we do with this money? And he has a word of wisdom. Jesus always walked in wisdom. He says, who is on the money? Lend to Caesar. Give to Caesar. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. There's the temptation of Jesus in the desert. He has a word of wisdom. As the enemy begins to tempt him, he goes back with scripture. He gives him scripture and he says, this is what the word of God really says. In Acts 6, the office of deacons were created for the purpose of ministering to the saints and the needs of the church. Now the warning with these two gifts is that we are imperfect people trying to translate a completely perfect God. There will be times you will get it wrong does not mean God does not speak. It just means we are looking through a dimly lit mirror, glass. We are seeing things through a lens that we don't have clarity on all the time. So here, can I give you just a side note, just a little nugget of wisdom? When you believe you have a word from God, don't say, thus saith the Lord. Don't say, I have a word from the Lord. Just say, I believe the Lord is speaking this. Does this resonate with you? Does this make sense? And if the person goes like this, don't take it offense. Don't be offended. Don't walk away with your head, but I'm never gonna do it again. No, just learn to hear God again. Get into a place with the Lord where you cultivate an environment of hearing from the Lord. For some of you, you need to actually journal in your private time with the Lord. And as you begin to write things out, God will use those words he gives you in private to actually speak to someone in public. You'll be ministering to someone and all of a sudden you'll go, I have a word for you. God actually gave me something two weeks ago when I was praying. Can I read this to you? And all of a sudden you realize what God gave you two weeks ago in private was actually used to minister to somebody in public. 
public two weeks later. That's how he works. Now understand this, that many times words of knowledge and words of wisdom can be clouded with our own wisdom and our own knowledge. Many times we'll know something about someone and we want to gently prod them to get a job. So we'll say, I believe the Lord's saying it's time to get out of bed and get a job. No, I think that's just you trying to exhort your child to go get a job. That is not a word of knowledge. That's just you telling someone what to do. We have to be careful how we filter this. But hear what I have to say here today. i rather you try than not do anything at all. And the best place to operate in your gifts in a safe environment is right here. Iron sharpens iron. Get around someone who hears from the Lord and begin to cultivate an opportunity to say, hey, can I, can I share something what I feel like the Lord's saying to you and begin to develop the gift of hearing from the Lord. The last one, I, laid, I kept it for the last because this is the one everybody likes to talk about, is tongue, an interpretation of tongues, what I just said. The word tongues is best translated languages from the Greek. So hearing and speaking in tongues is a supernatural ability to pray in the spirit in the language of heaven or to speak to others in their native earthly language, which is unknown to the speaker. Do you know that there's 7,000, over 7,000 native languages today on earth? And out of those languages, they came from one starting point, Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, everybody came together. We're going to do our thing. God confuses their language, and they all go out into all the different parts of the earth and develop languages. But then you know what Jesus does? He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost. What happens? They begin to speak in a different language, and all the people with other languages understand. Jesus brings clarity. He brings it all back. There's three different kinds of tongues. Number one, the personal prayer heavenly language. Are we okay? Are we all right with this? Is that okay? Am I teaching you? Is this okay? Okay, let's go. First Corinthians 13. Somebody said, nah, it's all right. Anyway, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, there are tongues of men and there's heavenly tongues of angels. And if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. First Corinthians 14, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. There is a language that Paul talks about that you may not understand with your mind, but your spirit resonates with it. I'll give you an example in natural terms. In World War II, in order to decode the information that they would send out, the USA employed the Navajo Nation. And this information that they used was because the Navajo spoke in a language that no one else could understand but other Navajos. So they began to communicate over this, and this code was unbreakable and could only be understood by a Navajo Nation person. So this is similar to what your prayer language is like. The enemy can't understand it. Maybe other people can't understand it, but it's your spirit speaking to the heavenly king. And as you begin to pray, I'm telling you, this happens in my own life. As I begin to pray in the spirit, I don't know what I'm praying, but I feel the peace of God reside over me. I feel worry lifted off. I can't explain it other than I know when I do it, something supernaturally happens to me. These people say, well, that's not really, I don't know how that all happens. You don't know what you're saying. Again, why are we trying to make a supernatural God 
God fit in a natural circumstance. We have to think in a higher level. Jesus wants sometimes for you to pray in a language that you don't have words for. Let me even say this. Have you ever just prayed so much for something that you ran out of words on how to pray it? Some of you prayed for your kids for so many times and you're like, I don't even know how to pray for them anymore. So you begin to pray in the spirit. All of a sudden you feel some kind of peace coming over you and you know God's moving in a language that you don't understand, but something's taking place. Number two, the unlearned, unknown earthly language. In Acts 2 and Pentecost, it said they be filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, other tongues. The Greek word is languages as the spirit gave them utterances. They were bewildered because other people heard them speaking in their own language. Pastor Josh, myself, many people that understand and know missionaries know that this happens very frequently. Pastor Josh was in Mexico, began to pray, and someone in Spanish heard every word he said, and he doesn't, you don't speak Spanish, by the way, do you? There you go. He was praying in just normal language, and God began to translate it into into another language. That happens. Many people have been praying in the spirit and someone else in another language says, are you talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? And they began to understand why. Because it was a supernatural occurrence that took place. There was a woman by the name of Agnes Osmond. And in 1901, she was attending Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. Under the instruction of Charles Partham, she requested hands be laid on her to receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit. After she was filled with the Holy Spirit, she began to speak in Chinese and for three days could not speak in English. Additionally, she could only write in Chinese characters. Now you say, that's crazy, Pastor Mark. This isn't true. It was collaborated by 34 of her classmates. They all witnessed firsthand an encounter with the Holy Spirit over this woman. Now, this led to Partham opening a Bible college in Houston, Texas where a lady named Lucy Farrow began to speak in tongues in 1906. Why is that important? Because Farrow was the assistant to William Seymour, who was the pastor during the great Azusa Street Revival. Azusa Street Revival on Bonnie Bray Street, where 5,000 people experienced speaking in tongues. That is a supernatural occurrence that should happen in a day-to-day life of a Christian. Churches should experience a supernatural encounter with Holy Spirit. Can I just say this? If you are in a church that does not experience supernatural encounters, you need to find a church that experiences supernatural encounters because that means the Holy Spirit is free to have his way. Number three, public unknown heavenly language needing interpretation. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good and another various kinds of tongues and another the interpretation of tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 says, if you speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, why am I sharing this? Because I've been in situations in church, some of you also have, where someone will have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues out loud. Not privately, not quietly to themselves, but actually begin to speak in tongues. And I've witnessed this happen, where someone on the complete opposite side of the sanctuary begins to interpret in English. 
And you're saying, did these two people collaborate before they come? What's happening here? How's this working? And it is an encounter with the Holy Spirit as a sign and a wonder to demonstrate the unity and the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been in those situations where those words were right on. The Holy Spirit will do things like this to prove that he can speak through multiple people in unity in a church setting like this. See, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. What do we do in church today? Forbid people speaking in tongues. Paul says it. He knew it. He knew it was going to come. Don't forbid. Why? Because there's something supernatural that takes place when people begin to operate in their gift. We have made it a sign. Listen to me. We've made speaking in tongues a sign that somebody has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is not the way the Bible is written. There have been instances where someone has laid hands on and they begin to speak in tongues. But a manifestation of you being filled with the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues immediately. How do I know that? Because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, are all apostles, this is a rhetorical question, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? What he's saying is not everybody has all these gifts. Some may have the gift of tongues, but you can earnestly desire them. Say, God, I want to speak in another language. But I've been in too many situations where we prayed over people. I've heard someone say, Pray for me, Pastor. I, I've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. I keep asking, and how do you know you have? Because oh, I haven't spoken tongues. No, but there are other gifts God has given you. Do you have the gift of faith? Do you have the gift of discernment? Can you lay hands on sick people? You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So listen to me. I want to make sure that we do this the right way. See, charismatics have made it seem like the most important thing is to speak in tongues. But Paul says in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, now I want all of you to speak in tongues. He, if he was from the South, he said, I want all of y'all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets because then the church can be built up. So if I were to say in my own instance, understanding of the word. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you should prophesy. You should speak words over people, encourage people, build up the church. Now, five observations and warnings through scripture on the work of the Holy Spirit. Number one, Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. That's where Jesus would drop the mic right now. I, the Lord, do not change. If the Holy Spirit did it at Pentecost, he's still doing it in 2023. He would not give gifts to his people and take them away in a time we need it. And I want you to understand this because there's some people in this room where you believe and you've been taught to believe that these gifts do not operate today. And I'm telling you, I've seen it. Many of us in this room have experienced it. And the word of God says he does not change. What he did back then, he's doing today on earth. John 3, 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are going to be things you're going to do that you will not be able to understand or even explain. That is normal Christianity being led by the Holy Spirit. And some of you people that are so buttoned up, you know, I Thus saith the Lord, I gotta, you know, this is all the thing. God wants to mess with your mind to confound it. So you trust the Lord and understand that there is something at work and it's not me. 
I've seen people operating in the Holy Spirit. I know their personality. I know how they operate. And I'm like, that is not them. And then I've seen crazy people. And I said, that's just crazy people right there. That's just somebody being crazy. And then I've seen people operate. And I said, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's demonic. You need to know, understand the Holy Spirit. You need to discern what is true, what is good. Something's confusing. It's disarming. It's, 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 it's taking, dis, it's disordered. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the work of darkness. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know that when we tell the Holy Spirit what he can and cannot do, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you here today, there's a lot of churches grieving the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of pastors grieving the Holy Spirit by how they communicate about the Holy Spirit. I think the best way we can do is let the Holy Spirit move the way the Holy Spirit wants to move. Acts 7 verse 51. This is Stephen's speech before he gets stoned to death. <laughs> He's talking to the church, by the way, the church who's stoning him. He's saying, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Family, today, I want you to know these gifts were not just for the apostles, but they're for you today too. And I know I'm speaking proverbial preaching to the choir today because many of you operating these gifts you do it with order and I want to say as a pastor I'm very thankful for how you do this one of our young adults this week who I'm in relationship with he sent me a text he said I had a word from the Lord I, I want to submit it to you as my pastor I feel like God spoke this to me in my private time with the Lord I looked at it and I said yeah let's do this and he, he shared it during pre-service prayer that's order but that's also supernatural and I had him pray into it. I believe what took place was we were seeing someone be obedient to what God is speaking to them. How do you test the Spirit, Pastor Mark? Well, we shared this a few weeks ago. You test the person. Is the person filled with the Holy Spirit? Do they love Jesus? You test the purpose. What's the purpose of this? It's to build up the church. It's to edify the body. What's the platform? It should start in the church. The church is the birthplace of the gifts. They come out of here, but they get... They get learned and they get maneuvered and discipled in this place. And then there's the process. After fasting and praying, we understand the things of the Lord. Now, let me say this thing. I said this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. These gifts only operate in their fullness when the person operating them is consumed with the fruit of the Spirit. If you're more interested in the gifts than the fruit, something's going to get off. What's the gifts? Well, the gifts are what we talked about. What's the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you walk in those nine gifts, the fruit, the fruit of the gifts, you will experience the gifts, the power of the gifts in a whole new way. So what do I say to you today is, before you prophesy, learn how to love. Paul says it in scripture. He says the greatest of all of these is love. If you have not love, you're a clangy symbol. I've been in churches where it's just a clangy symbol. And I don't know, Jonathan, you don't have to hit the symbols, but but just hit a symbol real quick. Just hit, there you go. That I mean, that, that doesn't sound good by itself. No offense to symbols. But when it's done with the power and the fruit of the Spirit, it's powerful. So here's what I want to do today. 
I want to pray for the empowering of the Holy Spirit for those of you that want this. Again, in Acts 8, it says that they understood Jesus. They were filled with Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. But Paul, Peter, and John, I'm sorry, Peter and John came, laid hands on them, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Those of you that have been at Southview any length of time, you know I give these analogies that when you give your life to Jesus, I equate it to a light, a lamp. A lamp is beautiful. It's got a nice shade on it. It's a nice piece of art many times. But when you plug that lamp into the power, now all of a sudden you see the illumination of why that lamp was created. It's also, Scripture says that when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit resides in you. It's like drinking a glass of water. You're now filled with the Holy Spirit. But then when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, when it says when the elders lay their hands on you, now it's like immersing yourself in the depth of an ocean. Not only are you filled with the Holy Spirit, but now you're immersed in His presence. And I'm telling you, I'm the guy at Christmas. If there's a gift with my name on it, I want every gift under the tree that has Mark on it because I want all that Jesus has for me. And I believe Scripture that says, earnestly desire the gifts. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.